got kind of a strange question for you today. I'm just going to admit that up front. So, so here's the question. What do Moore's Law and homiletics have in common? I'm going to repeat that. What do Moore's Law and homiletics have in common? I told you it was kind of a, an odd question. In fact, chances are pretty good right now you're saying to yourself, what in the world is Moore's Law and what exactly is homiletics? So I'm just going to jump in here. I'm going to start with the word homiletics. It sounds sophisticated, but in reality, it is simply the art of preaching. Homiletics equals preaching. Okay, so what I'm really asking is, in what way is Moore's Law related to the art of preaching? Which, of course, leads us to the next question. What is Moore's Law. So some of you are going to remember this. Uh, the Moore of Moore's Law is actually Gordon Moore, the founder of Fairchild Semiconductor and the now insanely wealthy company Intel. It's the word you see written on the side of most computers today. When you buy one, it says Intel inside, referring, of course, to the semiconductors that are giving the ever-desired speed of operation to your computer. Now, Here's what made Gordon Moore famous. Back in 1965, companies like IBM and Toshiba, they were pioneers in this fledgling development of the newfangled device called the computer. In fact, I can still remember some of the first computers that became available in small demand to large corporations and universities. They were clunky. Programming them took forever. Some of you who are listening, you remember the ever-dreaded process of creating stacks of punch cards that underlay the instructions by which computers would function. Remember those punch cards? And if you do not, give thanks to God that you never had to create punch cards to run a computer. That's a subject for another podcast. The real question at places like IBM was, how can we make computers that are not so big, that are not so clunky, that are not so hard to operate. So one of the big secrets, as it turned out, was in the task of squeezing more and more semiconductors onto this little circuit board, chips, allowing the size of machines to shrink. And it was here that Moore's Law was formed. In 1965, Moore made a prediction. He posited that every year the number of components that could be placed onto an integrated circuit board would double every year. Now, I'm going to put that in simple terms. What Moore was saying was computers will not only become faster, but componentially they're going to double in speed every single year. Now, at the time Moore made this prediction, there were computer scientists that laughed. No way. Computers, a lot of people said they may get faster There's no way they're going to double in speed each year. Guess what? Moore was right. They have and they continue to double every year, making his statement at the time a matter of law, Moore's law. And by the way, making my old iMac at home absolutely obsolete. For the record, it's about 12 years old. So let me go back to my original question. What I'm asking is, what does Moore's law have to do with the art of preaching? The answer, by the way, I'll give you a clue, has to do with speed. 
the speed of processing, specifically your speed of processing. I'm going to say this as simply as I can. When I got out of seminary back in the days before they were computers and churches <clears throat> or in homes for that matter, people would listen to sermons in a way that allowed them to process the deliverer's content on what was thought to be a seven second cycle. I'm talking about not a computer, but your brain as a computer. Every seven seconds would cycle the information being spoken. Now, what that meant is when a speaker, in this case, a preacher would preach, they needed to think about a way to bring people back to what they were trying to communicate on an ongoing seven second cycle. As people listen to sermons, their minds would wander off to other thoughts, issues, problems, shopping lists, needs going on in their mind at a frequency of once every seven seconds. If the speaker had a way to bring people back from these moments of wandering, they could help the listener stay with them until the end of their message. If, however, the communicator did not pay attention to this law of wandering, they might keep preaching their message for 15, 20, 30 minutes or more, but guess what? The hearer would be absolutely lost. And by the time the speaker reached their end, they wouldn't know what the speaker had spoken about. This had a profound impact on how people like myself would prepare a message. But alas, this has changed. If the thought processes of the human mind are impacted by culture, and I believe they are, guess what's happened over the years since I've been in ministry? The number of seconds which it used to take a mind to deviate from linear thought processes, i.e. wander to a topic other than the one being entertained, has radically reduced. Today, Moore's law applied to the art of homiletics or preaching would suggest that when a person is getting ready to speak, whether for a sermon or, or a public presentation or even a sales pitch, they must calculate and include in their pattern of delivery devices that allow the hearer who today deviates from the speaker's delivery, not every seven seconds, but several times a second to come back to the line of thought the speaker is seeking to establish a task easier said than done, which is why I'm glad you're here today. Today on our God Size Living podcast, I want to look at what I'm going to call a sermon that changed the world. You're going to find it at the very end of chapter nine in the book of Daniel. Here are some of the questions that I want to raise. What is it that made this sermon, these words, so effective? Why did the people stick with them? Who gave the sermon? Is there something about the sermon that lives above Moore's law? That is, that allowed it not only to be heard, but to pierce the very souls of those who heard it. If so, what was that something? Today, I want to jump in with both feet to what I'm going to call words that changed the world. As we jump in, I'm going to tell you one of the first books that came to my mind as I turned to the end of chapter nine in Daniel. It was a book written actually several years ago by an author named Carmen Gallo. If you're a TED Talk aficionado as I am, you will appreciate Carmen's work. It's titled How to Talk TED. Now, I don't think that when TED Talks were born, anyone expected them to be as popular as they've become. Originally, these talks were designed to bring together speakers around three broad categories of thought, technology, entertainment, and design. 
And then guess what? They took off. Since 1990, some 13,000 TED Talk events have been held, with the most popular talk, Brene Brown's piece on vulnerability, garnering some 68 million views. That's a, that's a lot of views. Now, in the process, many experts in the communication field will tell you that these talks have had a significant impact on how public speaking in our world today takes place. In her book, Carmen Gallo identifies nine specific characteristics of successful talks, including the encouragement to speakers, as we just identified, to pay attention to the way that audiences process information. Now, I've done my fair share of listening to TED Talks. I've read Gallo and others. I've listened to the top 25 TED Talks in all of history. I've asked a lot of questions about the applicability of these talks for the church. But there's one question that for me has loomed greater than any other. The question, as successful and influential as these talks have been, TED Talks, have they changed any lives? Don't, under, just don't, don't misunderstand me here. I, I have no doubt but that they've enriched lives. They've proven inspirational. I, I've been inspired more than once. They've provided practical as well as theoretical insights, but have they changed lives? I'm just not sure. One thing I'm sure of, the words in Daniel, they did. They played a significant role in turning Israel around. Remember with me what's happening. Daniel's been praying. And I think I would say it this way. Daniel has been praying his guts out before God. For 70 years, Israel's been in slavery. For 70 years, the temple has lay in ruins. For 70 years, it seemed as though God has abandoned his chosen people. And now, as Daniel has reached his golden years, he's asking a question. God, are you just done with us? Are you just done with Israel? Or God, will you act now to set us free? Now, I want to say this. There's been a few, not many, but a few times in my life where I really have. I've just prayed my guts out before God. I think you'll agree with me. It drains you. I think about this. There's, there's physical work, exercise that can leave a person depleted. There's emotional things that all of us will go through that leave us absolutely spent. But there are a few things that will empty you out more than pouring your guts out to God. And that's what I want you to see. That's what I want you to feel as you turn to the last part of Daniel chapter 9. He is spent, entirely spent. God, have you just abandoned us? And then watch what happens. An angel appears. Not just any angel. This is Gabriel. There's only two archangels named in the Protestant Bible, Michael and Gabriel. When Gabriel shows up, guess what always comes with him? I'll give you a clue. It's a four-letter word, and the word is hope. Hope. And that's exactly what shows up here. After pouring his guts out, here comes Gabriel to speak into Daniel and to Israel. And I want you to listen to the words that he uses as he begins to speak. I'm going to read verses 21 and following Daniel chapter 9. Lord, would you give us your guidance in this moment as we hear your word. All right, here we go. It says, quote, while I was still speaking in prayer, this is Daniel talking now, while I was still speaking in prayer, still praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness. He's spent, listen, he's just poured out. Now, Gabriel gave me instruction 
and talked with me. I want you to really listen to these words. Gabriel said, oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you. Now, just stop for a moment. I love these words. And I'll tell you why I love them. Here's the essence of what Gabriel is saying. He's saying, Daniel, I know you've been praying your guts out. You've been in a wrestling match with God. Everything inside of you has wondered, is this it? Are we done? Is my life just going to end like this? Is Israel going to end like this in slavery? But, but I want you to know something. I want you to know that the moment you started praying, your prayer was already answered. Daniel, God has this. He has you. He has Israel in his hands, and he always has. Gabriel brings hope. Can I say something here? Just for a minute, I want to make an observation. When I read this word from Gabriel, I cannot help but think of all those times in my own life when I have worried and worried and worried. I've walked around with doubt and fear, sometimes a sense of abandonment. Have you, have you ever been there? And all along, what God would say to me is, Luke, for the moment you started praying, God had already answered. His answer was as good as, as, good as done, as good as in the bank. That's hope. Do you need some today? I know that over the last few weeks, I've run into a lot of people that do. Here's what I want to say to you. Whatever you're praying for in your life right now, if Gabriel could talk to you, I really do believe he would begin with these words. The moment you started praying, God had already answered. The one that made you for himself, the one that loves your soul, the one that cannot wait to spend every day and eternity with you, he's already answered. And I have to tell you that from the moment Gabriel began this address to Daniel and to the people of Israel, everything begins to change for them. What Gabriel sets in front of Israel is a simple message. Just listen to these words, verse 25. He says, so you are to know and to discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Stop there. Here's why I call these words hope. The seven weeks day that Gabriel tells Daniel are coming will take place between 538 to 445 BC. During this period of time, several things will happen. Cyrus, the Persian king, will issue a decree releasing Israel from slavery. Not only will he release Israel from slavery, but he will allow them to return to Jerusalem and, get this, this pagan king will fund the rebuilding of the temple there, providing both money and supplies. Israel will be restored to its place as the instrument of God toward taking the gospel to the world. All things which for 70 years seemed impossible are now possible through God and Daniel and the people of Israel believed. I want you to hear this. It wasn't a TED talk. It did not follow the nine rules that Carmen Gallo establishes in her book on communications. Gabriel did not try to calculate the process and capability of Israel when he began to speak, but his words penetrated the souls of those that heard with hope. Do you know why? Because that's what God's word does. As I look at this section of Daniel, there's a couple of questions that come to my mind. I'm going to share these with you. 
and have you think about them with me. Here's question one. Where do you need a word in your life? I could say that differently. I could say, where is their fear in your life? Where's their pain? Where are you looking for direction? Most importantly, where do you need hope? Here's what I know. There are going to be times when we're desperate. Times when we feel like God is distant. Times when we pour our guts out to him. Times when we find ourselves like Daniel wondering, is that it, God? Are you just done with me? Know this. He's not. Question two, where have you been looking for hope? I have to tell you that I, I am a junkie for insights and inspiration into my own life. I love to read. I love to listen to, like you are right now, to podcasts. There's all kinds of words that I love taking into my own life, and many of them are helpful, but few of them change anything. There's one word that does. It's God's word. If it's been some time since you just spent some quiet moments with God in his presence, I want to encourage it. Our God loves nothing more than those times when we put everything down and we turn off the noise of this world and listen to him. Which leads me to the last question. Where is God speaking hope into you right now? I believe this. The same God who said to Daniel, the moment that you started praying, the command was given. Your prayer was already answered. He would say the same to you. Just listen and you'll hear it. Words that change everything. Words from God to you. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, Thanksgiving is almost here. For, for the next couple of weeks, we will be off and then we'll be back for with some new content. I want to wish you and your family uh, a tremendous Thanksgiving. Uh, take some time out and just give thanks for all the ways that God has blessed you. I know I can't count them all. I do count you a blessing. I want you to know that. Uh, I thank you for listening to this podcast. I thank you for your prayers for myself and my family. And I'm going to continue to pray for you and your family. Hey, have a happy Thanksgiving. Until we meet again, have a God-sized week.